you've got your Bible or you want to get one of the Pew Bibles in front of you there and you turn to Matthew chapter 6, if you're in the Pew Bible, I think it's on page 970. I'm going to read verses 5 to 8. While you're looking this up, one of uh, my children asked me what I was speaking on tonight and I said prayer. And uh, the response was, oh, that's good, that'll not take long, there's not much to say. So I think I might be disappointed in that front. But anyway, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Have you ever had a moment where you've been convinced that you're in completely the wrong place at absolutely the wrong time? Well, I've got that feeling just right about now. A while back when David asked me if I'd preach in March, I didn't like to say no, what with him being the new pastor and all. And I reckon that we probably need to be encouraging and the like. But then he asked me to speak on prayer. Well, David, the honeymoon's over now. So. Total wipeout. Have you watched it? It's perfect Saturday tea time family TV viewing. Gung-ho contestants take on lots of games that involve obstacle courses, water, getting wet, challenges, more water, feats of stamina, and even more water. And there's one challenge where they've got to climb up a greasy, slippy, wet walkway while 50-kilogram barrels are hurtling down that walkway towards them. And just when they think they're on their feet and making progress, another barrel knocks them down and have to start all over again. People getting punched, smacked down, bowled over into water and mud pools. It's great viewing. Well, as I watched it, I started to compare it to prayer. And it's not that I'm that spiritual, but simply because I was obsessing about what I was going to say tonight. And I realized that I find prayer like that slippery path. It's as if I'm trying to climb a greasy walkway with barrel after barrel knocking me over and making me feel like I've got to start all over again, time after time. I'll be honest, when David asked me, I said to him that I felt I was probably the last person who should speak on prayer because it's possibly the one aspect of the Christian life with which I struggle most. The one area in which I constantly and persistently fail. I've been a Christian for most of my life, yet when it comes to prayer, I feel like an oversized infant who has never really managed to get up on his feet. Why is it so hard? I suspect I'm not alone in thinking this. I mean, the Christian life isn't easy. But there are many areas that we find less difficult than prayer. Reading our Bibles, Bible study, reading Christian literature, that's not as hard. Listening to sermons, coming to church and enjoying fellowship, well, that's not so hard. Service, using our gifts, we can usually manage that. Evangelism, well, okay, that one's tough too. But as I thought about it, perhaps prayer is so hard because it's the time when we're most often totally one-on-one before God and we can't hide. We can't pretend. 
And perhaps sometimes we shrink back from that nakedness before God. And also I believe that one of Satan's greatest goals is to keep us from prayer. We can perhaps read and study the Bible because he can twist that time into making us puffed up with knowledge that we can show off to others. And similarly, reading Christian books allows us to drop into casual conversation what spiritual books we're reading. And service and gifts can show off our own value and worth. But when it comes to prayer, it's the Christian on their knees before their God, honestly opening themselves up to their Creator and Saviour. And such closeness to God highlights our sin and often moves us to confess and hopefully repent. So Satan, if he can, will keep us, sadly, often very successfully, from prayer. I don't claim in any way to have all the answers. And I can tell you that knowing that I had to stand up here and talk on prayer has been a very helpful impetus for my own prayer life recently. So if you're struggling, likewise, I'm sure David would offer you the pulpit sometime to stimulate your prayer life. But as I say, I don't have all the answers, but let's take the time tonight to be honest before God about our prayer lives. Let's question ourselves about prayer. And let's determine to seek some practical, realistic steps that we can take to turn things around with God's help. And let's go out from here this week and engage together in the spiritual discipline and holy habit of prayer in a renewed way. So we're going to look at three questions. Why pray? Why don't we pray? And how can we pray? Well, why pray? You might have expected that the first answer to this would be one further down the list in that we're commanded to. But the first answer we're going to look at is worth prioritizing. It's worth looking at closely and recapturing the awe of this wonderful truth. Why pray? Because we're allowed to. I suspect that if any of us rang the number for 10 Downing Street, even with the best of intentions of giving Gordon Brown some friendly advice, we wouldn't get that far. He's too important and we wouldn't have access. However, when my father was working for just as as auspicious an organization as the Planning Appeals Commission, as the big boss, sorry dad, well I'm sure some people found it hard to get speaking to him. I remember whenever I would phone there would be a few layers of protection that you had to negotiate. First you got the general switchboard operator and I'd say, can I speak to John Wark? And then I'd be put through to his secretary who, like all good secretaries, is immediately on the defensive with a polite yet somewhat distanced tone as she asks, who's calling, please? With the unspoken subtext being, who do you think you are and why should I put you through? And I'd say, well, it's Timothy, his son. And things would change immediately. Her attitude and voice would soften and she'd say, oh, I'll put you straight through. Well, why did I have this open, easy access? Because I'm his son. And he's my father. And have we lost the wonder and the awe of the reality of prayer? The God who made the universe from the largest galaxy, the most distant stars, to the individual grains of sand on the seashore that he has numbered. This almighty, all-powerful, majestic, sovereign God is not distant from us, his children. We can come before the one and only God, our Father, our creator, our saviour, and we can bring our requests big and small before him. This incredible privilege is not to be taken lightly because it came at great cost. To tear apart the dividing curtain, our Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood for our sins so that we could come into the holy of holies before God 
And we don't need an earthly priest or a mediator. We have direct access in the name of his son, Jesus. So in light of that, how can we seemingly stand back and just say, no, I don't feel like it. We're allowed to come before and talk to the one who holds this world together, the one who knows all things, the one who can do all things, the one who loves us. So why don't we? In Hebrews 10, the apostle writes, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Why pray? Well, secondly, we need to. Recently, I met a guy I'd known at Queen's through the CU, which is now about 15 years ago or more, probably more. And I was pleased to see him, and we started the chat, and before long, things sort of dried up. Afterward, reminisced a bit and asked about such and such, and have you seen you know who, and so on. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Have you ever found that suddenly, after the first few minutes of catching up, you both run out of things to say? And it's awkward. Why is that? Well, the relationship that once was has been absent for many years. You haven't talked. You haven't shared anything of your lives. The relationship hasn't been sustained. It goes without saying that any relationship needs communication. And it needs ongoing, regular communication. And of course this applies to our relationship with God. Do we really believe that Christianity is more about a relationship than just a formal religion. So often our lives, my life, can seem to deny that. I do things. I read my Bible. I go to church. I affirm the right beliefs. I also don't do things. I avoid those things that Christians shouldn't do. And maybe there is something we call prayer, but perhaps it's ritual, formal, repetitive. Is that all there is? If so, it's empty, formal religion. And we may be no better than the Pharisees. Do our hearts long to spend time with God? As the psalmist says in Psalm 42, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Does that resonate with you? Perhaps it once did. Perhaps you can remember feeling like this at times, but things have grown cold and distant because we've neglected our ongoing need to commune with God in prayer. Are we able to be self-sufficient in the Christian life? Can we go it alone? Are we so assured that we don't daily need to plead with God for his gracious help and strength? Are we so perfect that we don't have sins to daily confess to God? We need to pray. Why pray? Thirdly, we're commanded to. There's no doubt that we're expected to pray. The verses we read at the start from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount three times say, When you pray, not 
If you pray, when you pray, it's an expectation. But more than that, very clearly throughout Scripture, God's people are commanded to pray to him. Let's quickly look at a few examples. Romans 12, 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 6, 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And Colossians 4, 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Prayer isn't an optional extra in the Christian life. It's not part of the advanced Christianity module. It's basic Christianity 101. Prayer is not just for the super spiritual. It's not just for the pastors and elders. It's not for those who are lucky to have the time to pray and not be as busy as the rest of us. Prayer is commanded of all God's people. And it's not an arbitrary command because God wants to make things difficult for us. No, it's back to our previous point. It's because our loving, caring, heavenly Father knows how much we need to pray. Prayerlessness isn't a minor deficiency. It isn't just a lack of discipline. It isn't a personal regret or a little flaw that we really should work on sometime. It's a sin. Why don't we pray? In light of what we've just looked at, I don't know about you, but I feel like giving myself a good kick and shaking myself. Why don't I pray? Or why don't I pray more? And yes, we can know all the reasons why we should pray, but there can be things that hold us back from praying. Let's look at a few. Why don't we pray? We think God isn't willing or able to answer prayer. Now, before you shoot me down for such heresy, I'm sure that if asked, every one of us here would put our hand on our hearts and solidly affirm that, yes, of course, God is able to answer prayer. I doubt anyone here would stand up and deny that. But unfortunately, there can be a difference between what we say we believe and how we act. Do you truly believe that God is able to answer prayer? Or sometimes, are you just not so sure? When you're alone, when there's no one else there, when it's just you and your heart being honest, do you sometimes perhaps doubt that God can answer your prayers? Well, maybe we don't have any problems we'd like resolved. Maybe we don't have any needs we'd like met. Maybe we don't have any desires we'd love God to fulfill. Because if we do, if we have problems, if we do have needs, if we do have desires, and if we believe that God is omnipotent, almighty, all-powerful, sovereign, in full control of this creation, and if we know that we have the privilege of being able to come before God with our requests, if we know and believe all this, why don't we pray? If we might have any doubts about our God's ability to answer to intervene, to change circumstances, to help with problems, to meet our needs, to fulfill our desires, let's listen to what he says in his word and remind and assure ourselves of the certain truth that we were singing about. He 
is able. Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Job 42, verse 2. I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. Isaiah 40. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. Ephesians 3.20 Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Okay, we probably do deep down accept that God is able. But is he willing? Does he want to answer our prayers? Will he answer them? Again, I have little doubt that you would be prepared to stand up and say, yes, of course God answers our prayers. Of course he is willing. But again, in the honesty of our hearts, do we sometimes wonder, why does the humanitarian disaster in Sudan happen? What about the injustice and suffering in Zimbabwe? What about those who have wrongfully lost their lives in our country in recent weeks? What about the difficulties we have faced with the site development issues here as a church? What about the loved one who is afflicted with severe illness? And we may pray so earnestly about these things. And many people have prayed again and again about these situations. Does God hear? Is he willing to act? Will he answer our prayers? And so many times we see these heart-rending questions asked in scripture, particularly in the Psalms. Well, what does God say to us? Matthew 7. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And Romans 8. And we know in all things that God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. And a few verses later, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? I don't want to imply that these words remove the pain of suffering or the difficult questions, or that it's as simple as reading a few verses and suddenly everything is all right. It may not be. Sin in our world has distorted God's perfect creation and sometimes the answers to our prayers are not the ones that we long for. But the difficulties we may face also in no way remove the truth of these words and they don't change the fact that our God is able and willing to answer the prayers of his people. Maybe we think, yes, he's willing, yes, he's able, but my needs and problems are too trivial to bring to him. And Jesus says in Matthew 10, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground, apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. 
you're worth more than many sparrows. Nothing is too great or difficult, and nothing is too small and trivial for our loving Heavenly Father. Why don't we pray? Sin in our lives. Persistent sin pours cold water over the fires of our prayer lives. It extinguishes it. And I'm sure in your interpersonal relationship, you know that if there's an unresolved problem or issue, if there's a hurt that's not dealt with, it's like a brick wall stopping up any communication. And as Christians, I'm sure many of us would have to admit that there are times in our lives when we have harbored sin in our hearts. A sin we weren't willing to relinquish or confess. During those times, are you able to freely come before God and pour out your heart to him in prayer? During those times, do you even want to pray? Or do you, like our first father Adam, want to hide in the garden and stay away from God's presence? Because coming before the holiness of God shows our sin clearly. And it's uncomfortable. And we can shy away from it. Speaking personally, I know at times when I've harbored sin in my heart, I can manage to do my Bible reading. I can read Christian books. I can happily come to church, fellowship with other believers, and even engage in acts of Christian service. But the one thing I can't do is honestly come before God in prayer. And this highlights the absolute importance of prayer in our Christian lives if we were still in any doubt. Because prayer is when we are real with God without any self-deceit. We so much need to pray. In Psalm 66, the psalmist says, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But we can't hide from God. He pursues us. His Spirit convicts us. And if we are harboring sin and seeking to hide from God, we will feel miserable. And perhaps that's what's holding you back from prayer. Perhaps it gets to the extent that you feel even were you to repent, you've gone too far. Our God is a loving father waiting for the prodigal son or daughter to return home. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So repent, turn from your sin. Come back to God and know the sweet joy of renewed fellowship with him. King David, after the gross sins of adultery and murder, wrote about this in Psalm 51. He said, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. If you've gone so far from God that you don't know where to start or what to say, start with Psalm 51. Why don't we pray? Well, we are ill-disciplined. You can say that you believe it is a privilege to come before God in prayer. You know you need to pray and you know you're commanded to pray. And you might say you don't have any problem with believing God is able and you're sure that he is willing. You have no problem with that. And perhaps you aren't particularly harboring or cherishing sin in your heart. 
yet you still find that you rarely spend time in prayer. And we can come up with endless excuses, or perhaps we like to call them reasons. I'm too busy. I'd love to pray, but I never seem to have the time. The kids just don't give me a minute. I have to deal with sick and infirm elderly relatives. My work is brutal. Everybody wants a piece of me, and at the end of the day, there's just nothing left. Of course, ironically, every single excuse or reason in that list is actually just underlying the need for us to pray. There aren't many people who easily find the time to pray. And again, I have no doubt that Satan has a hand in this. There's always something that seems more pressing, more important, more urgent. But hopefully all that we've looked at so far has reminded and convinced us that in reality prayer is of such a priority that we must find time. We do need to be disciplined. We can agree with all the points we've looked at so far, but we need to discipline ourselves to build prayer into the routine and rhythm of our lives. I like eating. I do it regularly. In fact, I do it in significant quantity at least three times every day, sometimes more. And it's a routine. It's a discipline. It's a habit that I've cultivated over many years. Yes, it certainly helped by the fact that I like eating so much. And yes, sometimes I am actually so busy that I don't have time to eat. Or I really rush it and squeeze it in. But I know how important it is to make sure that I don't let a lack of eating become a regular way of life for me. I need to eat. My health depends on it. Sometimes, rarely, I don't feel like eating. But I push myself to persist with it because I know it's good for me. I'm pretty much going to let you draw the parallels there yourselves. But I think we do need to realize that sometimes if we wait until we feel like praying, it could be a long, long time. We aren't being insincere if we pray even when we don't feel like it. Just be honest and admit that to God. He already knows. So let's be prepared to put our hands up and own up to the fact that a lot of our prayerlessness can be due to our lack of discipline. Well, how can we pray? And we're nearly finished. I'm going to run through three quick questions and three suggestions for us to take away and hopefully that might help us as we pray. Well, should I pray at a routine time each day, or should I seek some variety? Yes. The answer is yes to both. We do need to seek a routine time each day, or realistically, we won't pray. We're all different, and there are many descriptive examples in the Bible. There's no prescriptive teaching, though, that says, Thou shalt pray at 7 a.m. each day. Daniel prayed three times a day. Jesus prayed early in the morning, but also through the night at times. But as well as routine, let's seek some novel times and opportunities for prayer, occasions that we set apart for prayer at different times, so we don't become stale and get into a rut. How long should I pray for each day? The Bible, again, doesn't specify. I suggest the answer for most of us is probably longer than we do at the moment. But it's important not to lose sight of the privilege of prayer. Let's not forget what a joy prayer should be as we can get caught up on our own personal guilt trip as we tick off the passing minutes. And let's be realistic. 
I don't think we should go out of here tonight, go home and set our alarms for 5 a.m. to enjoy two hours with God in prayer each morning. Let's be practical and realistic. If you haven't been setting aside regular time for prayer, start with little and often. Why not find a protected 10 minutes every day to start with and see where it leads? Establish the habit and the discipline. What position should I pray in? The Bible doesn't specify. Sitting down, standing up, kneeling, head bowed, eyes raised to heaven, all are good. Walking is good too. Driving is fine too. Praying with eyes open is good too, particularly when driving. And being sensible about it, lying down under your bed covers, is probably not the best position. Three suggestions then to take away. Use scripture to guide your prayers. Sometimes we struggle to know what to say. Well, take scripture. Either a passage that tells us about God, that leads us to praise him in prayer, or use a prayer of scripture, the prayers of the Apostle Paul, or Daniel chapter 9, or the prayers of Nehemiah. The Psalms are full of honest, heartfelt prayers that can fit seasons in our lives. All scripture is inspired by God. But some passages are more helpful in this regard. And similar to what David said last week about passages for Bible meditation, Leviticus and the genealogies are probably not the best place to start. Practice the presence of God. What does that mean? Well, I mean, let's not just see prayer as a distinct, defined activity that we engage in at certain times. Let's allow our whole lives to be pervaded with times of prayer. So that at ten past seven in the morning we don't get up from the place of prayer and think, well, that's it for another day. How about when doing your daily commute? How about when you're walking between your appointments? When walking the dog? When you stop for a moment's breather in your work or activities? Think of a compass. As we walk with it, the needle jiggles about all over the place. But when we stop and stand still, the needle surely comes back to its resting point. What about us? As we engage in the bustle of our lives, our minds are jiggling about all over the place, so to speak. But when we have that moment of peace and stillness, where do our minds go? To that which is most important to us, to our desires, to our treasure. Let's set our minds on things above Let us seek that our minds return to God as we spend many and multiple brief moments of fellowship and prayer with him throughout our days. Enjoy the fellowship of prayer. Whilst this series of holy habits, spiritual disciplines, is focusing on them essentially in a personal way, prayer is not just a solo activity. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we're instructed and encouraged to come together in prayer. In Acts 2, we're told that the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. And in Hebrews 10, following on from the verses we read earlier, the apostle continues, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. If you struggle with prayer, you're not alone. So don't remain alone. 
Let's meet together. Let's encourage one another. Let's spur each other on towards love and good deeds. And if you want a practical opportunity for this to put it into practice this week, come along this Wednesday night, 8 o'clock to the prayer meeting. I'll be honest. At times I don't feel like praying and I certainly don't feel like coming to a prayer meeting. But even at those times when I do, God is gracious. And I'm encouraged in fellowship and I'm encouraged by the prayers of others. I'm encouraged to pray. To conclude, can I challenge you to do three things? Meditate, repent, and act. Meditate on the great, wondrous truth that we have access to God, the privilege of coming before him. Think on your need for prayer and relationship with God and reflect on the biblical commands to pray. Repent. Repent for prayerlessness in your life. Confess any wrong views of God, his power, his sovereignty, his love, his desire to answer prayer. Search your heart and ask God to search your heart for sin that you might be harboring. Turn from your excuses and ill-discipline and let's start afresh. Act. Set aside some routine time and start small but regularly. Look up some scripture passages to guide and lead your prayer times. Seek to practice the presence of God at any time you can. Tonight, tomorrow, coming days, let your mind always return to God. And here's the radical one. What if every one of us sitting here were to be knocking down the doors this Wednesday night, so we have to move it from in there to in here? Not out of duty, although duty and habit and discipline are good, but out of a desire to meet together and to encourage one another and to enjoy fellowship and prayer. And I'm perfectly serious about this. What an encouragement to us all in prayer would be if we were all here on Wednesday. Let's pray. Father God, as we come before you, we confess where we have been prayerless in our lives, where our hearts have been cold. We confess where we haven't even had any desire to walk with you or to spend time with you. When we've been going through a formal ritual, rather than realizing and appreciating the wonder that we have in being able to come before you. Father God, we know there are so many reasons why we don't pray. But Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us here tonight to honestly examine our lives to ask you to examine our hearts. And Father, we pray that you would give us strength and help, for we are weak. Father, we may go out of here with the greatest desires to seek you great more in fellowship of prayer. But Lord, we need your help and strength, or we will fail again. Father, I pray you'd help us. I pray that you would help us to draw near to you and to enjoy fellowship with you in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.